Take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the title of the message is When Pharaoh, quote unquote, lures. When Pharaoh lures. I have been, uh, I've been praying and meditating on where I, uh, I should be going in the near future. You know, it's funny how you wind up, you're, you're thinking about a certain direction and then, at, you know, toward, when you're just getting ready to go that way, the Lord says, no, you know, this way. And I have been doing some reading recently on the Holy Spirit. You know, the first message that I preached here was entitled, How Big Is Your God? And, you know, really, I've thought, you know, if I know what day is my last day, that's the message I'm going to preach then as well. How big is your God? Uh, I hope and pray that our God has gotten bigger since April 21, 1991. But I got the thinking about this, about doing a series on how big is your God. And I would start out not with the Father, but with the Holy Spirit, and then go to the Son around the time of Christmas, and then the Father, the Heavenly Father. Now, we have been around here, and we've been getting into the Word, all of us, to one degree or another, for some time. And it's a joy to be with each other to grow. Now, like I said this morning, we have three that are going to be vacating the premises. And, and it's okay. We're going to remain friends. So either Jason, Jaster, or Kester has decided they're going to come up and say a couple of words about what their future plans are, what they're going to be doing. Who has volunteered? That's a, good, that's a good middle brother, man. There, they, well, I tell you what, I tell you what. Uh, when we get done tonight, maybe one of you can come up. Would that be okay? And, and or maybe what we can do is all three of you can come up and we can watch you fight as you decide which one is, uh, is going to be the one that volunteers. So... All right. Boy, there's more sirens. We have been hearing those quite a bit lately. You kind of wonder sometimes what's going on in the world. We need to be praying for this world. Amen? We need to be praying for our part of it. This, uh, in, in coming to the end of 2 Corinthians, first of all, I love this book. I, I just do. There, there's something about it. I just, I enjoy it. But we're not going to be ending in 2 Corinthians. Boy, there's somebody that's going to have a bad case of tinnitus one of these days. Sometimes I feel like walking up to somebody who has their radio on to, you know, 120 decibels. And, um, and I'm going to say, you know, one of these days, there's going to be a telephone ringing in your head, and you won't be able to answer it. So, all right. Listen, let's, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord just to open our hearts. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, thank you for these dear folks that are here. I pray now that, Lord, you'd help us to understand your word, help us to glean, ascertain what it is that you would have us know, but then also those that we might speak to someday that need help in this area. And we pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. All right. What we did when we started out in chapter 13, we saw two places. Number one, or we saw two situations, whatever you want to call it. We need to do like the church in Corinth was challenged by Paul. Number one, we need to prepare ourselves when it comes to what we are going to give answer to, especially to the Lord, we need to prepare ourselves. And then secondly, we need to examine ourselves. Now the specific verse that we're going to here when it comes to that is verse five. Let's just go ahead and go down to verse five in chapter 13. Paul challenged the church at Corinth. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Now, we've already gone very much in depth in this passage right here. Let's just summarize with this thought. What Paul is doing is he is saying, listen, put the shoe on the other foot, as it were. Remember in Psalm 42, David winds up preaching to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my, you know? Why art thou, um, hope thou in God. All of a sudden, I'm forgetting that, that, that verse. Uh, let's see, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? There we go. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who's the health of my countenance and my God. What he is telling them to do here is really the same thing. Look, you have been looking at me and you have been putting me to the test in your talk, in your thoughts, in your mind, all these areas, you have been challenging me. This is what you need to do. You need to put yourself in that place and you need to challenge yourself with those very questions. Prove your own selves. You know, in the challenges that we're given in the Bible, the Lord often takes the principle, the situation, and somewhere he gives a portrait. He gives an illustration of what he's talking about. Now, Paul is looking at the church at Corinth and he's asking them, do you see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you see it? What about your practice? What's going on in your life? Now, this isn't meant to get us discouraged, but we are, as it, as it is, we're in a conversation with God and we've put ourselves in the chair and we're saying, Lord, what is it in my life 
that you're seeing? What is it that needs to take place? Lord, I'm, I'm looking at what I've gone through in the last year. Have I done everything that I'm supposed to? Lord, is there still another place? Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Look, there's only one shot at this. We do not get earth time 2.0. We don't get another opportunity to go, okay, well, you know, have I, did I really take this salvation issue uh, seriously? And by the way, we all have family and friends, others, that we look at them and we pray, you know, Lord, if they're not truly saved, I pray that you'd work in their life. You know what I mean. So we can take this kind of thing and it's like, you know, Lord, I've got to be brutally honest with me, but then I need to challenge others. You know, if, if, if you lead in a situation to be brutally honest, with them. Now, uh, Brad and I were talking about somebody in the Bible this last week. We were talking about, I think it was Lot, wasn't it? And so here was somebody, we were talking about the four soils, and here's somebody that there's not a, there's not a whole lot of indication there. And on the surface in that story, you know, it, it, it seems, it, yeah, it looks like, and yet the Bible calls him righteous Lot. So there's discernment that needs to take place here for sure. However, having said that, you know, I, I, I believe we need to be careful that we don't look at people, be it friends or family or whoever, and say, well, I remember when they prayed a prayer. I remember when they got baptized. There's people that are dying and going to hell that have prayed a prayer and gotten baptized. Because with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made. So we need to see here in God's word places where maybe the Lord has helped us. He has done it in parables. And now we're going to go to, a, to, to an Old Testament account that can help us when it comes to how the world deals with us when it comes to our salvation. And is it possible that we or somebody that we know wound up falling for the lures of Pharaoh, as you'll see? All right, what I'd like for you to do, we're going to go as quickly as we can in this. Before we go back to the Old Testament, though, I, I, I want to remind us of something. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to the call of God, I should say, the Lord is always seeking to call us to something better. Remember in the book of John, in fact, it's John 14. Remember when he told the disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, right? It's Jesus, God come in the flesh, that is saying, I go to prepare a place for you. 
You think the Lord is going to uh, kind of be slack on what he prepares for us? No. It's always something better. So here we are. Here anybody is who's hearing the gospel. Anybody who is understanding or, or somebody seeking to get them to understand what the Lord is offering. Here this person is, and they're hearing what the Lord has done. But then the world kicks in. So let's do this. Let's go to Acts. Acts. Let's go to Exodus chapter three. Exodus chapter three. Look at verse seven. And the Lord said, "I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt." And have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. That's interesting. He's seen it. He's heard it. He knows everything that you and I were going through when the gospel was presented to us. A little bit more. Verse 8. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So he's speaking with Moses saying, I've got a place for them. Now, we're not going to go heavy into this right now. I'm not going to take the time. This picture of going into the promised land, my belief, and I think many others as well, other people have had different understanding. I, I get that. But to me, <clears throat> these Israelites going into the promised land is not a picture of death. You know, not, you know when, when, when we die, we cross the River Jordan. It's not that. Now, yes, we go into... You know, we, we go into the land where the Lord is, surely. But this is a picture of going into salvation. That's what this is a picture of. So the Lord has told Moses, I've seen what they're going through, and I see that they need deliverance, and I'm going to give it to them. So many of us have read the stories, maybe even all of us have read the stories of what took place when it came to the, um, you know, the Lord bringing on the, the, the misery and the destruction, uh, the judgments on Egypt because he kept lying, Pharaoh kept lying, and he would not let them go. Or he, at first, he was not lying, but he's just saying, I'm not going. And then later on, he began to lie. You'll see. So let, let's... A little bit more. Go ahead and stay there in Exodus right now. But catch this. Here we are. With them, with Israel, they were going to physically go to a different place. When it comes to salvation, that's not what takes place. What takes place is we become a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But 
we wind up staying in the same place. Quite possibly, there, there's, a, there's a movement or whatever if the Lord, if the will of the Lord winds up calling somebody someplace else, maybe they're gonna be going into service. But the point is this, we wind up staying here on this place, wherever we are, for however long God wants us, and we're here, but we're new creatures in Christ. We're growing. Now, <coughs> excuse me, at the time that that takes place, he tells us that we're no longer citizens of this world. We're citizens of heaven. In fact, through John, he says, listen, when it comes to this world, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. It's of the world. Now, he prays for us in John 17. And in that thought, while he's praying, he says this, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So we are new creatures in Christ. We have trusted Christ, or we're, in the, we're, we're, we're hearing the gospel. And what winds up happening, there's a battle that takes place. We're being told, listen, don't love the world. Now, I, you're, you're in the world, otherwise, you know, I'm going to wind up, I, I, I mean, I don't take everybody the moment that they trust Christ. But there's something going on in this world when the gospel is preached and how people are responding. Now, again, we could take a lot of time. I'm not going to get into it this time. But remember last week when I shared this with you, that there are people, even in time past, a hundred years ago, they're saying, you know what? There's a good number of people that they professed, but they don't possess. And there's different percentages, but sometimes those percentages are shocking when it comes to how many people, good men, look at churches in general and really wonder just how many people have trusted Christ as their Savior. That's hard. And then on top of that, there winds up being pastors, uh, famous pastors. You know, we think about different ones with mega ministries. And they wind up watering down the gospel. So it's almost a one, two, three, will you pray with me? Or not even that. There, one thing that I don't like using when I'm giving the gospel, I don't challenge people to make a commitment to Christ. You don't get saved by making a commitment. You get saved by turning to Christ. Now, I know there's argument today, well, you're telling people they need to stop sinning. Listen, repent, <coughs> excuse me, repentance is a situation where you have been told the wages of sin is death. And then you're told, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There might be sin, there will be sin with many that they still deal with. But when you have the Holy Spirit come into your life, your relationship to sin has changed. And God brings conviction. Again, we'll see this. The reason why I'm 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 
concerned about this is that people have thought about this and maybe you have talked with others before on this. You get to talking about the general condition of the church. Now, there's also the condition of the world, but there are times when it's like, why is the church different than what it was, say, 100 years ago? And I'm talking about Bible preaching churches. It's discouraging sometimes when it's like, when we get to thinking, are the commands of God really not that important? And I'm talking about people in general that'll go to a Bible preaching church. There is a problem. There's a challenge. You know, when we give the gospel, we try to tell people, look, you know, you're not saved by keeping the commandments. And some people will focus in on the last six, like the rich young ruler. But what about thou shalt have no other gods before me? Really interesting. Words mean things. So again, we need to be careful when it comes to the actual message of the gospel. You know, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish, the Lord said. That word repent is serious. I want you to go to, well, Maybe I'll give you the passages. Let's go to Exodus chapter 8. There's a compromise. God calls us to salvation. But there's a compromise that Satan tries to get people into. And this is the core. This, This is what my focus is. This is what I was trying to get to. Satan is busy with people, with hearts, while they're hearing the gospel. They're contemplating what they're hearing. Maybe with the conviction, their focus is laser sharp. But if they're hearing it, maybe they're in a, maybe like this this meeting coming up, the two-minute warning, there's going to be somebody sitting back here, they don't know the gospel there might be thoughts that wind up going through their mind. And it's like, well, I don't know. So this is, this is why I'm bringing this up. The Lord in the Gospels told, you know, stories. He, he gave accounts called parables. But then we wind up having Old Testament illustrations of New Testament truth. Pharaoh is not doing good. His his nation is taking a beating. And so he begins to play a game. And in playing that game, he shows the picture of what Satan often does when it comes to people hearing the gospel. Let me start giving you an illustration. Back at this time, Moses and Aaron had gone to Pharaoh and they said, we want to sacrifice. The Lord, our God, has called us to sacrifice. Let us go. And so a back and forth begins taking place. 
Exodus chapter 8, look at verse 25. And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye and sacrifice to your God in the land. Basically what he said was this, Sacrifice, but do it here in the world. In other words, in the world system, find your answer. Now, mankind has in their makeup this kind of idea that's expressed in Marxism. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. This starts to play a little bit with that. I'm going to stay in the land. Humanity is the focal point, not God. You see, so Pharaoh desires this. He wants to keep Israel in his grip. So he says, okay, you go ahead, sacrifice, but you're going to stay right here. And this is when the game starts going. Now, you're in verse 25. Go to verse 28. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that ye may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only ye shall not go very far away and treat for me. In other words, what he's saying is this. Sacrifice, but don't separate far from us. Now, the world, listen, listen. This, 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 is what, this is what churches are toying with right now and what so many churches are falling prey to. This is, what, this is the lure of Pharaoh. Hey, the world hates a contrast. The contrast shows the world we're different, not because we have cleaned up our lives but because what our God has done in us. So we wind up, if we're not careful, falling prey to this situation that, well, you know, I don't want to hurt my friends. I want to keep my friends or my acquaintance, you know, whatever. I, I don't want to stand out like an oddball. I mean, again, you can go into the Old Testament and find other illustrations of how this played out. King Ahab wanted Jehoshaphat along to justify his wickedness. The um, fool, and, and Brad, you would know this out of Proverbs 1. Remember, the, 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 the fool said to the wise, hey, let us all have one purse. There we go. Lot, talking about him, he fell into this trap. All right, don't go far from us. You know, don't be, don't be all that different from us. Now go to Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10. And look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. And, I, and I'm just going straight to the core verse about these things. Not so. Go now ye that are men and serve the Lord. 
for that ye did desire. He, he wants us to start rationalizing. How many of you have ever heard, well, you know, religion is a personal thing. It's a personal thing. Okay, so men, you guys can do this, but the family is staying with me. Not good. By the way, you know, this is, this is how the world is, you know, going about getting the kids to hear their viewpoint. I mean, we have all but been told that, I mean, really they have been told, we're in charge of what your children learn in school, not you. That's hogwash. That's absolute hogwash. Maybe you've heard this before. Well, you can't shove it down their throats. We were never commanded to shove it down anybody's throat. We share the gospel. The Holy Spirit does the work. Some people have said, hey, listen, you don't know my family. No, but we know our God and what he can do. Look at verse 24, Exodus 10. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord only, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. So what they're saying is this, go sacrifice, but keep your substance of the world. Now remember, we were told, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. But this is the mindset of worldliness. All right, go ahead, but you keep what you've got, and it's, they stay here. You've got to come back and get them. See, Satan says, you know, you give to God, and you're going to be poorer. No, no. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Well, what winds up happening? Well, there's a catastrophe because somehow the message has gotten messed up in the mind. Uh, we wound up running into somebody uh, this afternoon. I remember when that young lady was much younger and she was in my office here and she trusted Christ as her savior. But there was us, there was her, then there was her family. I'm not sure where she's at right now, but praise God, we have, a, we have a, uh, a connection now. I don't know what the Lord has done in her life. You know, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 13. Let's look one more time 
at verse five. See, there's confusion that Satan wants to bring. If he's able to do it, then there's a catastrophe. So we need to get back to the call. God's people, verse five, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Now, there are people that have different ideas here and there when it comes to that. I just understand, I understand this. We're supposed to, in looking at our lives, ascertain where our heart is. Where our heart is. Those who are truly saved, they're old enough, they're they're mature, they've heard the gospel. Those who are truly saved not only wind up hating sin in general, but their own sin in a very personal way. Remember Lot? If you go and read Peter, what he said about Lot, he said there was a wearing down of Lot. He knew what he was in the midst of. He knew what he was looking at, and it wore him down. When it comes to sin in our lives, hey, like David in Psalm 51, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. There was never a time when the angels needed to tell Lot, look, you've done wrong. Don't you understand that? Now there's judgment coming. I mean, he was right there with them. Judgment's coming. I'm on it. I'm on it. God's people are very aware of the chastising of the Lord and why. It's even just the spirit working on the conscience. And then, really, God's people understand the situation that takes place between, excuse me, between Romans 7 and Romans 8. Romans 8, how the Holy Spirit thrives. But Romans 7, that's where the struggle takes place when we're trying to do things in the flesh. There's a desire to do what's right. But I wind up not doing it, Paul said. In other words, overall, we understand this. God's people will hear the Lord. He is calling in every situation. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Pharaoh saying, wait a minute. Let's compromise. Let's do it this way. God says, no. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. That's how Paul winds up. 2 Corinthians. I love that phrase, excuse me, I love that verse, verse 5. Not because I get with it to ram it at other people 
or get myself discouraged. But it's good to be looking at our lives and wondering, how am I growing? What am I doing? And that's how Paul finished up with the people at second in, uh, in the church at Corinth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you again for these folks here. Lord, I pray that you'd bless, give us grace. Lord, help us to understand what it means to examine ourselves and just watch ourselves. Your will be done. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.